Jesus said, if you, lift, if you lift me up, I'll draw all men unto myself. There's a song that, um, there's a different song we're going to listen to tonight, and there's the anointing on the word that this man sings. His name's Don Potter. I want you to meditate on the words, because the words are very, very powerful. Receive it into your heart. Come gather around I have something I want to ask Soon there'll be a trumpet sound If you completed the task You've cast out demons in my name Open blind eyes and heal the lame Baptize the lost Forgiven the shame, but one question still remains. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Some say Elijah, some say John. Who do you say? Love those that didn't love first We have tried to quench the thirst We have carried your word to other lands We have prayed by laying on hands We have cast down demons in your name Open blind eyes and heal the lame Baptize the lost Forgiven the shame, but one question still remains. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Some say Elijah, some say John. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, 
for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. It's pretty hot up here. <laughs> uh, once again, I, I just want to lift Jesus up. It's all about Jesus and how he saves. And um, it is a privilege to be here tonight. A lot of you would know my family name as I shared this morning, Pomana. My two older brothers who can't be here tonight, Wayne and Derek, were, um, were still our world-famous powerlifting champs. Um, this is a story about my life, and um, yeah, it's a privilege to share it with you. We come up, we lived on a rural farm in the outback of Napier, a little little tin shed called uh, um, in Waihau. We lived in little sharing quarter sheds, and I went to a Catholic boys' school down in Palmerston North called Hatapaura Māori Boys' College. Whilst I was at school for three years, I didn't really enjoy school that much. My first two years, I, I, I was pretty good at school and um, made most of the sporting teams and was captain of a lot of things. In my fifth form year, I started to stray away from school. I'd applied to the armed services and I got a favourable result back from the Royal New Zealand Navy. And I joined as a seaman gunnery rate and then progressed to a sea cadema and then finally a clearance diver. I um, had numerous trips away overseas drunken nights and fights out. Um, at, a, at the age of 17 years old, I travelled the world. I even jumped ship in North Africa to join the French Foreign Legion in Djibouti, North Africa. And when I come back from um, Egypt, I had a desire to, to want to try my, my luck in the New Zealand SAS, but wasn't able to transfer from there. So I, um, I left the Navy, and I come back to Napier, and I... Um, I pursued a career in personal training and fitness and uh, a friend of mine said, you should get into bodybuilding. And um, so I did. Within a short period of time, I, I uh, competed nationally and internationally and my last year in 1996, I got fifth at the World Naturals, which was held in Las Vegas, USA. I um, was seeing a young girl at the time then who I loved and I thought, I'd get to marry this young girl. And um, I was told when I come back from overseas that my, uh, my best friend was uh, having relations with her. And as a result of that, we had a disagreement. Um, I got very angry. We had a bit of a punch up. And then um, sorrow hit my heart. And this is the first lie that I received into my spirit was suicide. So I took a long walk up to Bluff Hill, much like this side of the cliff here but it's a bit higher up there and I had one foot off the side and it was like that for a while and I couldn't bring myself to actually jump off it, it was too high I was pretty afraid so praise the Lord I never jumped off there so I, um, my friend said don't worry about here and don't worry about all that sort of stuff come down to the uh, mountain and do some snowboarding and let's just get drunk so um, I took up alcohol, tried to drown out the, uh, the sorrow that was in my heart and whilst I was there I ended up in a high-speed car accident with a complete stranger. And um, we hit this big rimu tree. And, uh, man, I should have been dead, but praise the Lord, yet again, I was, I was spared. Within five weeks, my friends had had enough of me. They had enough of my drunkenness. My um, car got repossessed. My life started to go backwards. I was actually crying out for help, but no one really wanted to know what was going on in my life. So I thought, well, see you later, New Zealand. 
I'll just jump on a plane with my 500 bucks and my bag, and um, I'll go to Sydney. I've been to Sydney before as a 17-year-old you know, in the Navy, and um, I thought, how hard would it be to get a job? It was going to be pretty hard to get a job because uh, I, I ended up staying at a backpacker's up at King's Cross, and um, everywhere I went, I had a fantastic CV resume, education, Navy, sporting credentials, but the same questions they asked were, do you have a telephone number or who can vouch for you here? And I'd say to them, I've just come from New Zealand. And uh, so the same doors kept closing. After a short space of time, I was down to my last $100 and I didn't actually want to ring home because of the embarrassment of my life, because everyone was successful in my family. I would have thought that they, um, they would laugh at me and said, you're a bit of a loser, you know what I mean? You sold out on a lie yet again. And that wouldn't have been the case because my family loved me. And um, so I was destined to be homeless in the streets of King's Cross. I actually found a, a park in Rushcutters Bay, which is just over the top of King's Cross. And I found a woodshed. And uh, I'd sleep in there at night time for about a month and a half, just under a month and a half. I'd sleep with a cardboard box and a newspaper and try and hide my bags. I mean, people would walk past. They'd kind of like snicker and say comments, but... I don't know if you've been homeless before, but, you know, it's the embarrassment. You just try and hide your face under a newspaper and um, then just get up in the daytime and, and, and walk around as if you're normal. Um, I was down to my last $10, and I was walking past the Hampton Court, which is up at King's Cross, and two Samoan blokes. They said, hey, bro, you want to come in for a drink? I said, oh, I don't have any money. They said, that's right, we've got money. Come in if you want. So I... Um, I went and had a few beers with them, and uh, conversation came about, and they said, um, what's the go with you? You know, where are you living? I said, I, I, I don't live anywhere. I don't have any money. So they took me in, and I became a, um, I became a security officer and security guard at a dodgy pub in Blacktown, a little place called Doonside, heaps of fights over pool tables and dartboards. And um, after, after about three or four months, I had enough of doing security, so I made my way back into the city, and I got a job at a, at a, um, a personal training gym called Bayswater Fitness. At the same time, I actually got a job. I was sharing this this morning. I got a job as a part-time gigolo in a, um, in a brothel. Um, and then a few weeks from that, I had an argument with the brothel owner, and um, I got propositioned by a couple of bouncers on a nightclub, and they said, um, do you want to do some work? I said, no, nah, not interested in security work. And they said, no, it's not security, it's debt collecting. And they said, how much money can you earn? And they said, how much money do you earn at the gym? So I told them how much I was earning. They said, that's not enough money. So um, I went with a bloke the next day. We were going to the eastern suburbs in a car, and he chucked me a green canvas army bag. And they said, what's in that? They said, that's yours. So I opened the bag, and there was a 12-gauge shotgun with 12-gauge rounds in it, and I said, what's that for? Are we going pig hunting? And he said, no, do you think they'll just give us the money? I said, what money? And he said, our money. So um, that was the life that I chose. I, um, we were kicking indoors, collecting drug debts, and um, working for the underworld. Um, my life came to a halt. I went back and robbed that brothel that I was working at with a balaclava and a shotgun. And... Um, Somewhere along the line, I got caught, so I went to prison. And um, none of my family knew where I was, and I wasn't about to, to ring them and tell them that I'd been locked up for um, 
an actual robbing of a brothel, an actual armed kidnap that I did. And um, so I met the movers and shakers of the underworld inside, outlaw motorcycle gang members, and I spent just under a year and a half. Um, when I got out, I actually was uh, bailed by a Muslim jihadist who at the moment is doing life imprisonment. I didn't know this about this man until I started uh, uh, researching for my book that I'm writing at the moment. And um, it's quite funny because when I turned up to court, this bloke had, uh, I was giving him meat inside the prison because we were thieving meat. And this guy always used to ask me for meat, so I'd always, I'd always give him some. And then um, he'd come and, come and see me later and he'd say, uh, what's the story with your court, Owen? I said, uh, I can't make the uh, bail, it's 200000 He said, I'll put your bail up. I thought, he was luck. I thought he was joking. So we turn up to court, true to his word. My boy comes and sees me and he says, hey, um, there's lots of guys sitting in here with headsets on and suits and they look really important. I think the federal police. I said, well, why would they want to see me? They said, they want to know how you know this man here. I said, I'll just give him meat. <laughs> they didn't believe me, of course, because, you know, I didn't know this at the time, but this man had been deported from Miami, USA, and was in charge of an Islamic movement. Um, and, um, yeah, he just put my bail up. The day I actually get bail, he sends out a, um, a, a couple of his boys to come and pick me up. And uh, you never forget the day when you're, you're walking out of prison because there's like 50 to 60 blokes locked up in cages that are burning their sheets and they're yelling out and screaming, you go, bro, don't come back to this hole sort of stuff, and they're really happy to see you go. So they set fire to everything and, um, as, as a tribute for when you're leaving. So um, they said, don't look back either. So I, I'm looking at the doors, kind of like a tear in my eye, and um, I'm about to see freedom. When they, give me my, uh, when they give me my clothes and a little bit of money, I've got about 150 metres to walk to freedom. Big cameras are all, all turned on you, and you're walking past all the razor wire and concrete. And there's a Series 3 BMW waiting for me on the out, out when the big gates roll back. Two Middle Eastern-type blokes, big heavy watches on, leather jackets. I said, you Owen? I said, yeah. I said, oh, we've got to take you to Auburn. Auburn's like Lebanon if you'd never been to Sydney. And um, they said, you want a kebab? <laughs> I said, yeah, I haven't had a kebab for a year and a half. So as we, uh, we go to the kebab shop, they're sitting there watching me devour this this, this kebab because I hadn't had one for a long time and um, they said we've got to take you to a strip club run by a um, Serbian and Russian underworld and bandito motorcycle club and um, as, I was, as we were riding there I got handed a, an envelope which had 10,000 cash and a Glock which is a uh, 9mm handgun and um, that was a present from some blokes inside because they thought that's what he'll need when he gets out so you know I started as a debt collector and then got welcomed into the underworld in, in Sydney. So they locked me up in a meat locker for two days. All sorts of things happened in that meat locker. I tried to escape. And then I got to look after a Jewish rabbi's son. And I brought my brother Wayne to come and work with me. And he was the most dodgiest rabbi that I've son. He was actually the rabbi that we'd ever met. And um, just to give you an example of the tough times that we had, Six carloads of Lebanese turned up one day when I wasn't there, kidnapped them at gunpoint and held them ransom. They made their demands and um, 
this is the sort of lifestyle that I was starting to live. My brother's obviously, you know, he's a bit confused because they don't play with guns over here like they do over there. And um, so we ended up having a disagreement, my brother and I, and we parted. I ended up becoming homeless on the streets again. For a short space of time, I got uh, snapped up by the Banditos Motorcycle Club and I became the, the minder for the national president who lived in Sydney, also a Kiwi. And um, they took me in, fed me, and, um, you know, there was obviously an opportunity for them to uh, invest in something. And um, 10 o'clock at night, I'd go out and I'd, I'd go collect money, drug money, debts. And I would always have a big Russian or a Serbian bloke next to me. He'd always have a gun on him. And we'd go and knock on doors in the, in, in the uh, streets of Sydney. That was my life, really spiralling out of control. I, I got a break one time and I decided I had enough of this life and thought I'd move to Queensland. If you know anything about the underworld, it doesn't matter whether you're in Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, it's all run by the same people, especially when it comes to drugs. And the outlaw motorcycle gangs are everywhere. They've even got clubs in this nation. However, I'm not fearful of that. Um, so I uh, tried to get back into personal training and started life back again, doing fitness. But I got back around the, the drugs and the nightclubs. And um, I ended up lending a, a bloke in an outlaw motorcycle gang a couple hundred thousand dollars off a friend that I borrowed it off. What happened with this friend, though, is um, he ended up doing the runners on me and leaving me in a position where I got a visit by some really nasty people. And um, they were threatening this, my friend's family. I said to them openly, I'll go for a walk in the swamp. And they didn't want to hear it, but of that, they said, no, we just want our money. So I had to find a way that I could try and repay this 200000 So I decided I'd, I'd rob all the biggest drug dealers in the country. I'd just get a hold of cop uniforms, badges, and, and, and get a couple of other guys that were willing to jump on board, and that's what we'd do. So we set our sights on robbing the biggest heroin and cocaine dealers in Queensland. We did one. For 900000 and some other stuff. And as I was going to see um, these people from Melbourne, I didn't know that this unit had been watched by the National Crime Association, Federal Police and ASIO. So they're listening to a conversation about what I've just come from. I've just come from an armed robbery of the biggest heroin dealer in the country. And um, as I walked out, there's a tactical response team waiting for me. I don't know if you've had little red dots placed all over your heart, but it's not a nice feeling especially when you've been in the service for seven and a half years and you know what they are. So um, I lay on the concrete. They took me away. The federal policeman said in his time, he said, um, you've got a pretty full-on life there, Owen. And he said, I just want to let you know, we don't really care about bikers. We don't care about drug dealers either. You're actually doing us a favour. But normal police want to, uh, want to do you for an indictable offence. So you're going down for this one. I said, I'll be out in 24 hours. I'll just get the best lawyer in town. And um, he said, that may be so, but you'll be destined to go to jail. I said, whatever. I went to jail for 21 days. And I got some of my friends to ask some people I'd done some collections for if they could help me out. But they all turned their backs on me. Then I had one good friend who, who, who helped me out. But the day I got out, I was full of anger, full of wrath. And I decided to ring this president of an outlaw motorcycle gang and told him what I thought about him and that I was coming to see them the next day. 
not really thinking about it, no wisdom the way I was thinking. I could fight, you know, I got brought up around fighting and stuff like that. And um, I thought, this is on, I'm going to go and see these blokes. So I organised in the daytime to go down and see them. I left my gun behind because I usually have a 45 calibre pistol on me. That day I never had one because I wasn't expecting to shoot anyone. Not that I've shot anyone anyway. But um, they come into the room and I said, you left me in prison for 21 days. They said, we don't care. And um, I said, you won't even help me out. And they said, why are you here? I said, I'm here to tell you that your, that your work's no good and that um, nothing's become of all this work and I'm just here to tell you, you know, you're not all that you think you are. So um, they said, is that right? I said, yes. They opened up the door. Five members came in with big steel hammers. I started to laugh because I usually have that gun on me. Well, I never had it that night. Day, actually. Sorry, it was in the day. And um, I thought, Dad, I'm, I'm dead. They're going to kill me. So I pleaded with them, let's fight one-on-one, two-on-one. But I ended up getting smashed for 15 minutes with big steel hammers. I had my eye hanging out. I had to try to break my spine, my legs, my ankles. I was pretty fit, training in jail. And um, they were actually going to take me for a ride. And um, they said, any more from you, Owen? We'll put you in the ground. I said, do it now. It was in the daytime, so they couldn't do it. So I, um, my friend's girlfriend took me to the hospital. She screamed because I said, I'm just going to give these people a $12,000 bill. I'll take you to lunch. She ended up taking me to the hospital. I ended up leaving 10 to 12 litres of blood in this car yard. And um, as I arrived at the hospital, they put me on drips. They put things in my mouth and in my arms. My fr- good friend from Napier here, he, he came to see me, and he was crying, and he was pleading with me, and he said, bro, when is this going to stop, this life you're leading? And I said, when I kill all the bikers. And um, the police come and saw me and said, you want to press charges? I said, no, I don't need your help. Within 10 minutes to 20 minutes, I, uh, I said to my friend, bring the car around. I pulled the drips out of my arms and the thing out of my mouth, and I uh, walked out in my hospital dress and said, take me out of here. And he said, you can't. Look at the state of you. And I said, no, there's people dying in this hospital. I'm not, I'm not dying. I'm just busted up, that's all. And um, so we get back to his place, and um, I borrowed his phone, and I, I rang my friend who sold guns. I said, what guns do you have? He said, what do you want? What sort of guns do you want? I said, um, big ones. And um, have you got any bombs? He said, you're, you're sounding really crazy. What do you want those for? I said, I'm going out on this one. Do you have any of that pee or the ice? And he said, you don't smoke that stuff. I said, I do tonight. And um, so anyway, I, I bought an ounce of that stuff. My friend said to me, you can't live at our house, Owen. You just, that's just crazy stuff that you're talking. I said I was going to take all the people that were after me. I was going to take them with me. And um, so I moved into another house, and I tried to organise how I was going to take out three motorcycle gangs. I bought this Taiha with me tonight. I didn't share this with you before. But um, when my father died, this taiha was made for me. And it's got my father's name on it, which says Te Aukator. Te Aukator means the whole world. And um, it got blessed by a holy man of God, Piopa Max Mariu, who was the first Catholic Māori bishop to our people. And um, he said a powerful karakia over it, or a prayer. This took a journey with me through the Navy, through the world. And it also came across to me to Australia. When I got locked up in prison... People come and thieved all my stuff. They also took my tyre Hence, that's why I was going crazy and um, trying to find out who had it. 
So when I found out he had it, I started ringing them all and said, see at club night, click, click. I was going to blow them up. So um, they sent up another hitman to hit shoot me. And um, we ended up becoming friends, me and this hitman, even though I, I, I foiled his plot. He said, I want to ask you a question, Owen. Why do you keep texting our sergeant like this? I said, he has something of mine. He said, I kind of like you. You don't find people like you. And he said, what is it? I said, it's a tyre It was carved for me. It's got my father's name on it. I said, I'm, I'm prepared to die for that thing. And he goes, well, if I get that stick thing back, will you stop causing problems with our bike club? And I said, yeah, but it really doesn't have anything to do with you, but if you can get that thing back for me, sweet ass. So that's what happened. He um, got it back, and the first thing they said to me was, that thing's cursed. Clubhouses got burned to the ground. People lost their lives. Just really silly things happened to their clubs. So they were quite happy to give that thing back. They said, that thing's cursed. So you shouldn't have touched it. I know now that it was a, you know, it was a gift from my father in heaven because I honoured my father. Another thing I really didn't share with you is I don't have any tattoos on me. Being in the Navy seven and a half years and uh, being around bike clubs and tattoo clubs and all that sort of stuff, my father said to me, boy, if you come home with tattoos, the door's locked. So um, apart from being afraid of our father in our early school, in our early days, um, I, I honoured my father because he had them all over him. Not that I'm against tattoos, but that's why I don't have any. Um, coming back to the story, I, um, when I got my tyre back, I decided to go down to the beach. I always go down to the beach at night time because there's something about water, you know, something about the water, and I'd go down to the sea. This particular night, I had my 45 caliber pistol on me. I had my pee pipe in the pocket, and I had my tyre I just got back, and I, I cried out to God, and I said, man, if there's a God, you need to help me. People want to take my life. I'm smashed on the pee all the time. I'm going to jail for a long time. Will you help me? I don't know who you are. I didn't know anything about Jesus, God, let alone the Bible. Here I was calling on the God of the universe to, to come and help me out with my problems. I carried a little Gideon's Bible on me that I was given probably three years before. Another friend who used to be into drugs and all that sort of stuff, and he gave me this Bible. For some reason, I had it in the back of my pocket that night. And... Um, as I brought it out of my pocket, I trip over this big crook thing. You know, it looked like a um, big shepherd's crook. So I've got a gun, pea pipe, that tire, huh? and this big shepherd's crook with a big hook on it. And um, I said, Lord, I don't know how to read this, this Bible, but um, will you speak to me? I turned it open to Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 says, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want to make me down to lie. For though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I thought, man, I've got a rod and staff in my hand now, and a gun and a peapot. But uh, <laughs> I thought, well, I don't know what it meant, but I went, oh, thank you, Lord. Within three weeks, this is unbelievable, because that prayer that I cried was a confession. The Lord, help me. I don't know who you are. My friend Bruce and his uh, uncle, Pastor Ken, were traveling to wherever they were going, doing sales. And Bruce was a backslidden Christian. And he always used to tease Pastor Ken some of the things he did. And he said, I know someone you can talk to about Jesus. He goes, yeah, who? He goes, name's Owen Pumana. He goes, oh, yeah? What's about Owen? He goes, oh, he bashes all the bikers and bikers hate him. They want to shoot him. They want to kill him. And he robs all the drug dealers. He's going to jail for a long time. He said, well, will you take me to see this Owen? And he goes, yeah. Because he had a joke with God. And he said, 
you can get Owen, I'll give my life back to you. So um, he thought, that's not going to happen. So he turned up my place. My friend Bruce is a casual smoker on the P. It's amazing the people that smoke P. You wouldn't be, you'd be surprised. Doctors, lawyers, nurses, whatever. Um, I've seen it all. But um, he turns up on the doorstep and he wants to go for a puff on the pipe, so he sneaks off into the room. As I look out the door, I see this old man sitting in the car. I thought, oh, who's in the car? He said, Pastor Ken. I went, who? He said, Pastor Ken. Does he want to puff on the pipe? He said, no, he's a preacher. I said, oh, what'd you bring him here for? So anyway, uh, Bruce has gone in the room and I'm looking at the window and I couldn't help myself and I, I beckoned him to come into the house. So he comes out of the car and he's walking towards me and he goes, ah, you're the Owen Tomana. I said, yeah, you must be Pastor Ken. He said, yeah. And um, he said, how's things in your life? And I went, I, mean, I don't even know why I'm telling you this. I'm 35 years old. I've got a gun in my pocket. I've got a pee pipe on, on the table. And um, I'm going to jail for a long, long time. And the bikers hate me. Yeah, you're welcome to my house. He said, gee, you need God. I started laughing and I went, who? He said, you need Jesus, Owen. I started laughing again and I went, what do you think this Jesus can help me out with the jail and drugs and he said, yeah. I said, man, you speak a language. I don't understand the language you're speaking. He went and put his hand out. He didn't touch me. And all I remember this getting struck out. I don't know what happened. But I, 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 I was out on the ground. The only explanation I can tell you is I felt hot and cold and felt really weird. But I felt clean. I always had a gun on me. And I wasn't really worried about the gun in my pocket because I was going, oh, what have you done to me sort of stuff? I felt clean. I knew something was happening in my heart. When Bruce comes out, he sees me all sprawled out on the floor. And he goes, hey, why are you on the floor? I went, nah, man, I feel weird. And um, Pastor Ken's looking at him and he goes, what, did he hit you? I said, no, he didn't touch me. And he goes, no, I didn't touch him. Ask him. He said, well, how come you're on the floor? Pastor Ken goes, I just asked him if he wanted Jesus. He said, you're kidding me. <laughs> so anyway, um, I hop off the ground and Pastor Ken's standing there with his arms open like this. You remember for 12 years I've been around criminals and been around jail and I had a hardened heart. Anything about love sort of stuff and, you know, I didn't really hear it. But this man's got his arms open. He says, do you want a hug, Owen? And I said, oh, man, this is really weird. Oh, okay. So this man gives me a big hug and um, he led me through some words. Obviously, a, 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 a sinner's prayer. I just mumbled whatever he was doing. And then I got invited out to his... Uh, church was out, which was out in the park. He said, come and get baptized. Owen, you been baptized before? I said, yeah. I got baptized in the Catholic church. And he said, you can come out anyway. So um, I said, my friend, come pick me up. We went out there and um, three people this time saying all this stuff, obviously speaking in tongues. And um, power of God hit me. I fell on the ground. An Aboriginal bloke I'd never met before in my life, he stood up and said, God is telling me to tell you, Owen, to remember being a child in his arms. I heard this comment three times in my life. The second time was probably six months before when I was doing community service at a church called Reach Out for Christ Ministries. I was told to stay away from this bloke named Martin. They pointed him out to me and said, he's a weirdo Christian. And these are all weirdo Christians in here. And he said, um, you stay away from him. One day I was leaving work and this Martin comes running after me and he's yelling out, hey, mate. And I turned around with my hardened heart and said, what? He said, um, please don't hit me, but I've got something to tell you. I said, oh, what? He said, God's telling me to tell you to remember being a child in his arms. I thought it was the strangest thing I'd ever heard. And I said, 
what would he say something like that for? So anyway, he, he prayed with me. That was the second time. But the first time was 17 years old. I'd missed my plane back to Auckland to go to uh, um, Cyclone Relief on one of the frigates. And um, so I hitchhiked. I was on the outskirts of Bayview. And I remember really clearly a blue and white VW combi van. What my interpretation of Jesus looks like was driving it along here. And um, little bed sort of thing. And he stopped, the door opened. Some sort of church music playing. I thought, oh man, I don't want this ride. This is one of those crazy guys. And then um, he goes, where are you off to, buddy? I said, Auckland. He said, jump in. So um, it didn't take him long. And he was praying and I was freaking out. And um, he said, God's telling me to tell you, I remember being a child in his arms. 17 years old, I've taken the hand from that side of the rest, put it to the side of the door, looked at him and went, hey, Mr. Man, I just want the ride. He planted a seed in my heart. So that third time at Pastor, Pastor Ken's when, when I uh, uh, went to his church, God was speaking to me. I didn't know the word of God then, but I know it now. And in Psalm 139, it says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And he's talking about you too. Marvellous were the works when you wrought in the secret place. I wrote the book on your life. So relationship-wise, I've been in the arms of the Most High God, and he knows my name. Um, a week later, I'll turn up to court, and uh, I don't know if you've been in courtrooms before, but there's not usually a lot of people, and they're just police officers and sticky-beak reporters. And, um, but on this, this occasion, there was a whole courtroom full of elder people, and they were smiling. And it was really irritating because I didn't know who they were. They were smiling at me. So I, I had to turn this way, and I said, are you in the right courtroom? I said, yeah, you're Owen. I said, yeah, I mean, I haven't got a clue who you are. So we're Pastor Ken's friends. I said, oh, don't mean to be rude again, but what do you want? They said, uh, God's told us to come and support you today. I said, what for? They said, no, it's all right. God loves you, Owen. I said, you know why I'm on the stand here? I said, I'm a pea-smoking, arm-robbing psychopath. And they said, no, you're not. You're a born-again Christian, Owen. God knows your name and he loves you. And I said, you know what? My friends have told me, and I had this in Sydney as well, we'll come and support your brother. Not one person in that lifestyle come and supported me in any sort of way in the courts. So um, I said, thank you. You're doing some stuff to my heart. And um, thanks for coming. My court never gets off the ground. And um, Pastor Ken decides to ring me. And um, he starts to pry into my life. And he said, you told me, Owen, that you're stuck on the pee. The ice stuff. I know nothing about that stuff, but um, is it a bit of a problem for you? I said, you know what? I've never really been asked this question before, but I don't know if you noticed, but I don't really have many friends, but um, I think I've got a habit. He said, have you tried giving it up? I said, I don't know how to. And he said, um, we've got a spare bedroom in our garage. There's five of us. We're in a fellowship in Coolangatta. And um, do you want to come and live with us? I said, well, Pastor Ken, I, I live in an apartment. I've got three spare bedrooms. It cost me $750 a week. I had all the, all the little toys and gadgets, stuff that I've stolen off people or through debt collecting and stuff like that. And um, he said, yeah, you've got a nice place. Bruce has told me about your place. And um, he said, but you want to come live with us in our house? I said, what, in your garage? And he said, yeah. I said, man, I just told you I live in an apartment. I've got three spare bedrooms. He said, I know, you told me twice now. I said, so what do you want? He said, can I pick you up? We wrestled for about five minutes. And um, in the end, I caved in. I said, come and pick me up, you silly old man. So he come and picked me up. I left all my riches and my bikes and cars and all the stuff. And I ended up in this garage. 
man, there was nothing there. It was like a prison cell. And um, I thought, what am I doing here? And he come and see me 48 hours later. And um, he said, I want to take you somewhere special, Owen. I thought, wow, this would be exciting. I could get into any strip club or nightclub from Melbourne to Brisbane. And um, where would it be taking me? But as we were going to this place, he took me to the streets of Coolangatta at 10 o'clock at night. And um, what I believe God was saying to me was, you need to open your eyes, listen with your ears, because you're going to try and understand things in your heart, like signs, wonders and miracles. And um, I watched this man sit with homeless people. I'd been homeless for three and a half weeks. And um, so they'd been there a lot longer than I had. So I watched this man put his arm around people. He could have been singing songs or giving them money. But I watched for 15 minutes. When he come back, I said, what are you trying to show me, Pastor Ken? He said, Owen, this is what Jesus is like. He come to heal the brokenhearted. He come to open the eyes of the blind. Man, he loved the homeless people. Owen, he just loves people. And um, I felt the weight of my life come upon me. And God had shown me. And I said, Pastor Ken, I'm truly a bad man. I've done a lot of bad things in my life. And he said, yeah, but you've been forgiven. And um, he said, will you help me? Will you help me reach the lost? And um, I said, I don't know how to. But I did say to him, are you telling me this is what Jesus come to do? And he said, yes. I said, I don't know the Bible, the uh, Jesus or God sort of stuff, but you've interpreted me today. I understand with my heart because I've seen with my eyes what you've just done. I'm not offended by what you've said. Is this what Jesus does? This is what he's come to do. So um, for six months, I saw signs and wonders and miracles. When it comes to my court date, we're going, um, I'm going out to see my barrister and solicitor who had paid $21,000 to. And um, my lawyer said, tomorrow you're going to be a free man. And um, right in front of me was a King James Bible staring at me. And um, I'd been reporting for two years, five days a week. And um, God gave me a vision of Jesus standing there, Peter the Apostle, denying him. I followed to jail even to death. And Jesus said, you deny me tomorrow. And um, I'll speak to the vision. And I said, I'm not going to deny you. Both the lawyers look at each other because I'm speaking to a vision. They said, what? And I said, don't worry about it. I said, what would I get for a guilty plea? I said, what would you plead guilty for? And I said, well, I've paid the bill. I'm just asking you. They said, um, You'll get six to eight years. You've already been done for drugs, guns, been around gangs in Sydney. He said, um, is this a Christian thing Why you're asking this? And I said, yeah. Jesus said, if I confess with my mouth that I'm a sinner, you know what? I know what I've done in my life. I know what I've done to friends, family, all sorts of things. I don't have to walk around with that heaviness in my heart anymore. And they said, um, are you on the P again? I said, no, I'm not. They said, just because you uh, want to be good, you want to go to jail for six to eight years. I said, I didn't say I want to go to jail, but I'm looking at eternity. They've looked at each other again real weirdly and went, eternity for what? I said, the kingdom of heaven. They said, you're nuts. So I, um, I pleaded guilty. I signed the form, and as I walked out, I went back home and told Pastor Ken the vision that I'd seen and that I'd, I was going to be free, but I was going to jail for a long time. The next day we go to court, I get into the only seat that I have, and um, Pastor Ken said to me, I feel in my spirit to tell you today, Owen, that you're not going to jail. I sighed, and I said, why would you say something like that for? I'm pleading guilty to armed robbery. That's not possible. 
He said, all things are possible in God if you believe. And I said, man, you speak some crazy stuff, but we'll just see. So we get to the court, and uh, my lawyer wants to get a, um, a psychiatrist report done. He said, my life in New Zealand, I've got no charges, but here in Australia, pretty bad stuff. So he asked him. The judge said, if the prosecutor allows this, then I'll allow it to go forward. And um, the prosecutor goes to stand up. He can't even speak. He can't even stand up. He's wobbling. Pastor Ken's laughing because he's obviously praying. The police officer's looking at me said, this guy's been on the drink. Have a look at him. He can't even speak. I was laughing because I knew what God was doing. And um, they wrestled, and then he agreed to uh, 30 days to, to set me free. The judge then come back with 60 days to come back in 60 days. So I got a double portion of God's favor. Pastor Ken's laughing because he's prophesied to me, you're not going to jail today. And um, the police officer next to me goes, how come I'm not putting handcuffs on you? I said, I've got a double portion of God's favor. She backed to the side, looked at me and went, well, what does that mean? I said, you need to give your heart to the Lord Jesus and repent from your wicked ways and you'll be worthy to go to the kingdom of heaven. She said, you're nuts. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I went down below. The Lord put a piece of scripture into my heart and it was Jeremiah 32. As I was still trying to learn the word of God, I hadn't a clue what that meant. But um, this is how the passage goes. Jeremiah was locked in the courts of the prison and um, Hanamel, the, the king of Israel, sent his nephew in. All he had to do was sign these title deeds for, to buy back houses and plant vineyards. I said, I haven't got a clue what that means, Lord. How is this possible for my freedom? He said, you're, you're locked up in a court today. You've come in with uh, sureties. That's the title deeds in this case. And you're asking for your freedom. He said, for the last 60 days, of the last six months, sorry, you've been uh, with Pastor Ken. You've seen signs and wonders and miracles. You're like a baby in the milk. And he said, but with Pastor Ken, my faithful servant son, that um, he's going to teach you the principles of salvation, baptisms, and spiritual warfare. You will be going to jail, set the captives free. It won't be to, to uh, buy back houses and plant vineyards. It's to sow seeds, to bring a harvest of souls into the kingdom. So on the 59th day, my lawyer, he rings me up and said, um, hey, when you go see the psychiatrist, just one word of advice, if you take it, don't speak about that religious stuff, that God and Jesus stuff. I said, why not? He said, man, don't make it worse than six to eight years. And um, so I'm going out on the train. I'm thinking about, you know, I've never been to a quack before, a psychiatrist. They've got one of those lie-down chair things with the look into my eyes sort of stuff. I was thinking it's going to be one of those things, but there wasn't. There was just an elder lady with a really big file sitting in front of her. She said, tell me about your life. I explained to her what I explained to you tonight, and um, it didn't take her long. Man, she's really bored, and we've only just started. She's playing with her hair and looking at the watch and yawning. And I just, I just said, look, you know, miss, I don't know what your name is, but um, is that a story about my life? She said, yes, it is. And I said, you know what? I'm going to tell you that everything that's written in that book is all true. I know there's consequences to actions. And I said, um, but I want to let you know that I, I've, I've become a Christian. Well, she starts laughing. She puts her hands up in the end. She goes, oh, I've heard this before. And um, I said, what are you laughing for? She said, would you like me to write a nice report for you because you're telling me that you're a good Christian? I said, no, I didn't say I was a good Christian. I was telling you that I'm accepting of those facts. I was told by many people, even my lawyers, to come here today not to speak about Jesus, God, and my conversion to Christianity. And um, that's all miss. I know people are not going to forgive me for things I've done, but Jesus has. And she said, well, you're probably wondering why I'm looking at my watch. I said, yeah, the thought had crossed my mind. She said, I'm trying to figure out why your lawyers sent, sent you to me on a Friday. You step in front of a judge on Monday, and I've got to report, write a report about who you are. That's not a sufficient amount of time to make a, a judgment. 
about these things. And I'm also a Christian. I said, praise the Lord. Are you spirit-filled? She said, yeah, I am. I said, well, will you allow Jesus to, uh, the Holy Spirit to equip you what's right? I'm already accepting the facts. So I pulled my chair around. Can we just pray? And she said, yes. So I pulled my chair around and we prayed for 20 minutes. And then she speaks into my life. She said, I'm so, I, I'm so honored. She said, would you be disappointed to go to jail? I said, no, I know I'm going to jail. She said, you told me you've been homeless. You've been on drugs. You've been around guns and gangs and violence. You can testify with your, uh, with your court or with your, um, with your life and, and set people free because you can, you can interpret the language through my own. So um, on, the, on the Monday, we go out to um, the court and uh, Pastor Ken said, I'm going to testify who you are. So he asked the lawyer if he could testify, and he said, don't even do that. There was cameras, there was uh, newspapers and everything there. As they started to read out the charges, we're sitting in the docks, waiting for the handcuffs to go on, and uh, they read out the charges, armed robbery, all that sort of stuff. Pastor Ken stands up and says, excuse me. All the lawyers in their little penguin suits and the King Captain Cook hats turn around, and they say, sit down. They said, no. And the judge is looking over his little glasses, and he said, um, can I help you, sir? He said, those charges don't reflect that man standing on the stand. And he said, how so? My lawyer stood up and said, I'll get him removed from the courtroom. He said, no, I want to hear this. You lawyers sit down. So he comes forward and he swears on the Bible. Then he starts to um, share. And he said, my name is Pastor Ken Bergen from Dargaville. Him and his wife have been called across uh, with a fellowship named Praise Fellowship from Dargaville. And God had called him across the outback of uh, Australia to, to minister to the Aboriginal people. And we met Owen six months ago. He was in a bad place on drugs. And he said, we don't know why he's here today, but I'm here to tell you that um, I baptised Owen and I brought Owen salvation. And he knows what it's like to be loved now. And he said, and we love Owen. He said, um, can, can myself or my fellowship take the punishment for serving that man? You could hear a pin drop in the courtroom. Everything that I've spoken to you tonight is, is all recorded in court in the court record word for word, and um, he said, thank you, Pastor Ken. As he's led away, and uh, the judge starts to speak, he said, um, sometimes in court cases, Christianity is just a ploy for us to make a, um, a lesser, lesser charge or give you less time. And he said, Pastor Ken Bergen from the Praise Fellowship has spoken on your behalf. He spoke about your conversion to Christianity. I accept your conversion as genuine and true. I accept your baptism and he said, in fact, the psychiatrist writes in her remarks, you understand that there's consequences to actions and you're accepting of the facts. She seems to think that you've gone from darkness to light. She's speaking church language. She's speaking kingdom language. And um, he said um, that the community requirement of this nature is so serious. I agree with the two testimonies. To send you to jail is not going to serve you one purpose. But the community requirement is we can't have police officers that aren't police officers robbing drug dealers with guns in the community. I sentenced you to five years with 18 months to serve with a lifetime ban from Australia. I went into the prison and I was able to serve the Lord whether it was on a police truck, certain different jails that I, I travelled to. I spoke to hundreds and I heard testimonies from, from, from men that had been bound up in the heart with the consequences of their actions and murderers and all sorts of things and I was able to be the representation of Christ Jesus to be able to comfort those, sit there and listen, and even hug, hug brothers that are, man, I said, man, I've done nothing about that Jesus God stuff, but, you know, why are you happy sort of stuff? And I'd share with them. I'd share with them the love of Christ. And um, 
man, you just see all the chains, the snares, the cords, the fetters breaking off these people because they don't have to carry those burdens around with them anymore. Um, so I was able to bring 81 people to the Lord in my year and a half that I was in um, prison. On the day that I get out, five federal policemen, armed escort, were waiting for me to take me back to New Zealand. They actually apologised and said, we know that you're a free man and that you're a Christian. We have to put handcuffs on you. So um, on the plane, uh, the bloke said, you're obviously going to, um, they said that you're probably going to preach Jesus to us. And I said, yeah. So four of them disappeared. One put his feet up. He took the handcuffs off me, gave me some money and my passport and said, um, lay it on me, brother. So I preached Jesus to him as well. <laughs> and since I've been back, I've, um, you know, for the last year, I've stand with mighty, mighty men. I've been led to, to brothers and sisters in the Lord. They said I'd never get a passport. I'd never get to go into the prisons. And, and they said all these things. But I'm here to tell you tonight that all things are possible in God. I went into a prison with no paperwork. I've been around the country with Michael Jones and Aroni Clark and testified with some, some awesome mighty brothers in the Lord into the prisons. I got a passport within seven days to travel to a, um, an event in Fiji. And also, I got given a blessed with a car and I live in a... I live in a mansion rent-free whilst I'm writing my book at the moment and I'm off to Fiji tomorrow. And um, I'm here to tell you tonight that, you know, all things are possible in our God. We walk in the light as he's in the light. But all this that I'm saying is, is, is the love of Christ that he has for people. All this means nothing if you don't have love within your heart. As we give the praise and we give the glory back to, to God, you know, we're like the good stewards. We're like the wise virgins with oil. And we're like children. We believe our Father. And um, that's the hope that we have tonight and, and the glory that I want to share with you that there may be some people here tonight that are going through rough patches in your life. You know, God sees the, the heart of all and he wants to do a work within your heart. There's dreams and visions that people, have, that God's placed on your heart that he wants to bring to pass. But it's faith that pleases God. But with me, I come with a repentant heart I had, to, I had to ask for forgiveness. My Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, come into my life and heal me. Heal me all the stuff in my life, all the rubbish and the junk. You come and set me free. Between me and God, God, listen that night on the beach. If you're here tonight and you need a Savior to come and, come and heal your broken heart or if you're backslidden in a way like my friend Bruce and you want to make a recommitment to the Lord, will you make that decision tonight? Will you take a leap of faith? Will you come forward and stand with me here tonight? Don't worry about anybody else or what everyone else thinks. Now I knew nothing about Jesus, God, the Bible. But here I am today testifying that there is a God in heaven and he loves all people. You know, church, you've heard Owen's story. It can be your story tonight. You know, we are going to get the worship team to, to take us into worship. And I would encourage you to, to get up and get into worship. You know, as they sing, and let what Owen has been sharing with us, you know, the story that he's shared tonight, let it speak to you tonight. Let it speak to you tonight. You know, if you could all stand up and just, you know, let's, let's see what God wants to talk to us tonight. Let's go into worship. Let's go into worship.
for God to touch Owen's life. If it's possible for God to touch Owen's life, he can definitely touch my life. If you think, if you think you need God tonight, if there is a need in your life, you have been, you have been trying everything. Owen knew, Owen could, Owen knew everything. He had, he had success in his life, but there was an emptiness. He went into bodybuilding. He was the fifth in the world. He had the whole world at his, at, his, at, his, at his foot. But there was an emptiness within him. If you are here tonight and you have an emptiness within your heart and you don't know why that emptiness is there, let me tell you tonight, it's because you are searching for Jesus. If you think you have done some bad stuff in your life, and you want to get out of it, you do not know how to get out of it. If you are on drugs, if you are on alcohol and you do not know how to get out of it, and you thought that that was the end of life, tonight is your chance. Tonight is your chance. You heard the story of this man who was on drugs, who was on alcohol, who was on pee. You saw how God, without looking at his, oh, he just, he did not, God did not look at his problem, but he took him out of that place so that tonight you can hear a story of transformation. There is possibility of redemption. If there's anybody else tonight, you're feeling in your heart, there's a struggle between your heart and your head. There's a struggle between your heart and your head. And your head is saying, no, I can't. Your heart is saying, I need to go. Let me tell you tonight, God is saying, God is tugging at your heart. God is tugging at your heart. He's calling you forward. He's saying, come my child. Come my child. He's saying, come my child. If there is a struggle between your heart and your mind, let me tell you, follow that heart. Owen did that. I've done that. And I know from my experience and from Owen's experience that he will receive you as you are. He will help you through. He will help you through so that you would no longer be a failure, but you will be a success. If you are here tonight and you think you need help and you thought that you were fighting this battle by yourself, we have good news for you. There is a, a person called Jesus who can walk with you in this problem. If you, if you think you need help, please come forward. Please feel free to come forward. We want to pray with you. We want to we want to walk with you in this issue that you're having. If you think that your problem is too big, if you think your problem is too big and God cannot do anything, you cannot handle it. Let me tell you tonight, God is big. God, Jesus is big. He can take it. Doesn't matter what is in your life. He can help you. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Is there anybody else? He's big. The God that we serve is big. The God that we serve is big. He's big. He's big. He can take you. 
there anybody else is there anybody else i know there are a few more people i know at least three more people god is talking to your heart god is talking to your heart and there is a struggle between your heart and your mind god is not finished with you tonight he's not finished with you tonight if there's a struggle between your heart and your mind listen to your heart listen to your heart because jesus wants to receive you as you are jesus wants to receive you as you are welcome sister one more time i'll say if there is a struggle between your heart and your mind i can guarantee i can guarantee god is calling you it is god who's st- calling on your heart he's calling on the strings of your heart respond to that he's calling you come my son come my daughter come my son come my daughter there is that cry in his heart he wants to have friendship with you tonight very good well done you know we want to clap and rejoice because five people six children six children of god have given their hearts tonight oh there is rejoicing in heaven that's not good enough come on come on come on that's not good enough there's rejoicing in heaven there's rejoicing oh yes Oh hallelujah. What I'll do is I'll lead you in a simple prayer. I'll just lead you in a simple prayer. Repeat after me. Father in heaven. Everybody, everybody just join in. You know, Father in heaven. I come to you. In Jesus name. I have I confess that I have committed sin. I have fallen short of your glory. Father, I thank you that you received me as I am. And tonight I come into your presence and I and I give my life to you. I give you all my sins. And I thank you that I have been set free tonight. I thank you Lord that you have received me as your child. Tonight Lord, I allow you to come into my life. Please come into my heart. I thank you for you have received me into your family. Thank you Jesus. Everybody said amen. Wow. Awesome. 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 You know, we have a couple of people who will go who will take you to another room. Just want to talk to you and and get to know you.